Hello, and welcome to episode 8 of the Courtside Podcast, an NBA podcast. This episode is brought to you by YouTube channels Highway Temptation and Captain Barbell, who make content weekly. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Hello, everybody, and we are halfway through the first round of the NBA playoffs as majority of teams are going through basically their third game later on this weekend. And then also we have some franchises have already played their third game already over the week. So we'll be going straight into that as well as telling you who's in trouble, what this might mean for this franchise going into the rest of this postseason and maybe even to the rest of this first round from what we saw in the first two games. So starting off right now, we're going to go straight to the Eastern Conference with the only team in the East that has played a game three yet, the Philadelphia 76ers and the Toronto Raptors series. And that one is at 3-0 and right now with Toronto Going back to Toronto, had a little bit of an uplift because they made game two close midway through the fourth quarter, and then Philadelphia exploded at the end, which they won that 112-97 to in that game two in Philadelphia. And Joel Embiid and James Harden would have been a phenomenal duo right now with James Harden actually sharing more of the ball and being that point guard facilitating the offense instead of what we see from him, a 30-game, 48-game, or whatnot. He ends up having a pretty good game three himself with Joel Embiid. So we're looking at the stats here. James Harden had 19 points in this one. However, 10 assists and 6 rebounds, which is pretty good for the point guard himself. And Joel Embiid, 33 points, 13 rebounds. Usual stat line from the MVP caliber season of Joel Embiid that we're seeing from him. But I do have to say, Toronto as a team in this game three was not letting the Raptors down. They were up by 10 going after the first quarter. It was 29 to 19 after the first quarter. And then in the second quarter, it was kind of back and forth, back and forth between the two teams. And then the second half, it was a whole different story. At the start of the second half in the third quarter, Philadelphia outscored Toronto by nine there. And it looks like Toronto just wasn't able to close out Philly as they went to the fourth quarter and went back and forth until the last minute or so, or we have a, Precious at the line, and he literally misses two free throws as important as it is probably in his entire career. He misses two free throws in his young career that could have sent Toronto to win this game and make it a 2-1 series. However, ended up missing those two and sending them to overtime, where they're still going back and forth. Joel Embiid gets the last laugh of an inbound play and shoots a fadeaway three off the left wing. Nothing but net splashes it in and there's even video on twitter of a fan that was sitting courtside and fell to his knees i mean that franchise needed a win there and that's got to be the most devastating loss that i've seen toronto have in a long time so the toronto raptors find themselves in this 0-3 hole right now as philadelphia leads by three games it just needs one more to complete the sweep however fred van viet said to the media that right now the mindset is that you know we game four will be one of four to win So Toronto is still in a good mindset as they will try to hopefully make it to a seven-game series with Philadelphia. However, that is a little bit unlikely. The odds are kind of against them, but we'll figure that one out later on Saturday at 2 p.m. later on this week. And then the next series we'll be looking at is actually probably the most interesting series I have to say in the Eastern Conference besides the Boston and Brooklyn series just because it's gotten an even playing field now. Milwaukee, who took game one, is some reason, I don't know if it's just because of the NBA champs and the expectations are not too crazy for them just because, you know, they're expected to go on 
to the Eastern Conference as a favorite. But they're 101 against the Chicago Bulls. And they had a close game one. However, DeRozan went, I believe, 6-25 and in that game. And Vucevic and Zach Levine with him, the big three of Chicago, were shooting below 35%. They actually come back in game two, and they had a phenomenal game. You know, they weren't shooting poorly at all. DeRozan, I know, had about a career playoff high of 41 points in that one and was shooting 51.6% from the field. Zach Levine behind him, shooting about 54% for the field, got 20 points in that one. Vucevic, 24 points himself with 13 rebounds. And that double-double from Vucevic was off of 55.6% from the field. So the big three there in Chicago are shooting more than 50%. They're putting their time in there. Plus Caruso, who I feel like has become this leader in Chicago's locker room, has been playing pretty damn good himself. He ends up actually going with only nine points, but don't let that lie to you. He gets 10 assists, two steals, and two blocks. As a guard defending against a huge-sized Milwaukee Bucks team, that's pretty impressive. And then, of course, from Milwaukee's side, it's just more and more strugglers. And then a player actually goes missing for the series. Giannis Antetokounmpo, 33 points, 18 rebounds, usually stat line there. He was only one more assist away from a triple-double, but that's just going to be Giannis. Drew Holiday. 15 points, 6 rebounds, 6 assists. So you can say stat-wise, like, you know, that's not a bad that that's that's not a bad game. It's a mediocre average game. However, Drew Holiday late in the game, making up all these mistakes, turnovers, was passing the ball straight into the fans and missing Matthews off cuts. And he just didn't look like the defensive Drew Holiday that we saw last year. And Matthews, 11 points off of 35 minutes in this game. And Chris Middleton, 18 points in this game, and was shooting 54% from the field. Great game, right? 5-7 and seven also from 3 from Chris Middleton. Great game from an all-star. However, he might not come back. He got injured, believe he slipped on something onto the court, went straight to the locker room, and now they're saying that he's going to be gone for about two weeks or so. So this might mean that Chicago, with a 1-1, as they tie against Milwaukee, it's going back to their home court and might even take both games in Chicago. I'm telling you, don't be surprised if Chicago ends up winning this series right now. I mean, all the things are in their favor. If I was a Chicago Bulls fan, this is probably the best outcome I could have thought think of besides taking a 2-0 lead over the defending champs. You got the defending champs missing one all-star due to injury, unfortunately. You got a tied one-by-one. All of your main guys, basically DeRozan, Zach Levine, and Vucevic, performed and they were able to get a win over Milwaukee with Giannis still performing at a high level. So this gives you that confident boost if you're a Chicago fan, and this definitely lets you know that, you know, it's going to be rocking in that stadium over there in Chicago. There's no doubt in my mind. No doubt in my mind. So that series goes one and one, and then. The Brooklyn Nets and the Boston Celtics series. That is probably a marquee matchup every single time you turn on the TV for that first round. Because just how that first game was like, you know, going back and forth, Tatum getting the last shot in for a layup to win that one by one point. They end up taking game two from a comeback victory against Brooklyn. That's right, the Boston Celtics who won that one 114 to 107 in TD Garden. They end up winning this one by 
ultimate comeback. In the beginning of the game, the Celtics offense was stagnant. The defense was more focused on Kevin Durant, which let Bruce Brown get hot early with nine points within the first two minutes. And then Goran Dragic was absolutely phenomenal coming off the bench in this game as he was in the last one. And Goran himself, I mean, if you look at the stat line, he only had 20 minutes in this one, but 18 points and shooting about 57% from the field. Now, mind you, 18 point. That means that he is the third highest scorer on that team for that game. As Kevin Durant ended off with 27 points, but the majority of his points came from the free throw line. Uh, to be exact, he had about 4 and 17 from the field. And then from the free throw line itself, he had 18 and 20 shots. So he made 18 of his 20 from the free throw line. And that just about cuts in half there. Kyrie Irving was inexistent in this one. 10 points and shooting only about 30.8% from the field, going 4-13 from field goal. And then, of course, as I said before, Bruce Brown got hot. He ended up getting 23 points, and he didn't play his regular 40 minutes, as we've been seeing recently in some of his games late in the season, plus in the first game of this playoff series. But he was pretty good. He had about 67% from the field. However, Boston comes back. In the second half here, they're down by 17, and then they go on to score 30 in the third, right? 29 in the fourth quarter, and Brooklyn, unavailable to themselves offensively, could not get a basket midway through that fourth quarter. They ended up having only 17 points in that fourth quarter. They were leading by five going into the fourth, and Kyrie was off. KD was getting locked up. And I can only hear the music locked up. Don't let me out. KD was getting triple teamed, double teamed. A lot of pressure making him uncomfortable from the field. And the Boston Celtics got hot from being stagnant in the offense early off. They end up bringing a couple of bench pieces. Like Payne Pritchard was phenomenal in this game. Sure, 10 points, right? But it was 5-7 and seven from the field. And one of those shots was a huge... Little crossover, step back into the side over, like I believe it was Seth Curry. It looked like something that was like a ankle breaker highlight reel from overtime. And Tatum being a little bit off in that game, only had 19 points in that one. Brown as well off in that game, 22 points. Only Brown, Brown, Al Horford, and Daniel Tice got 50% or better from the field out of the starting lineup. Marcus Smart and Tatum. Both got below 35% from the field, and both of them were struggling offensively. But still, Tatum with 10 assists was still being contributing into the game. Plus, he made a couple of big threes late. And Marcus Smart, obviously, Defensive Player of the Year, which we'll be going into later on in this podcast, was playing phenomenal on his defense as usual. And to the next series for the Eastern Conference, we have to look at the Miami Heat, who are actually going to be playing their Game 3 today, this Friday, at 7 o'clock on ESPN. They end up taking Game 2 in Miami, and this one's going back and forth. and almost looked like that Atlanta was going to try to you know, extend themselves late in the second half to try to win this one. However, Jimmy Butler, on a career-high playoff total, he was phenomenal. Jimmy Buckets, 45 points in this one. I mean, 60% from the field. He couldn't be stopped. He couldn't be stopped. Not even that. Shooting 57% from the three. Now, that's impressive. Especially for Jimmy Butler, which is known not to be that caliber of, you know, get you big buckets type of guy. But definitely a team contributor. So, Jimmy Butler gets a 45. Max Struess gets 14 in this one. Tyler Hero off the bench with Gabe Vincent getting the double digits there with 15 and 11. 
The rest of the team was kind of a little bit off offensively. I mean, Kyle Lowry had nine points in this one, and it was only shooting 25% from the field. Bam and Abayo, who is still trying to get into the game offensively, especially in the front court, only shooting 50% from the field was three and six, so he didn't get a lot of attempts there. But this Miami team was moving the ball around, and they sticked into it, and then Jimmy Butler just took him away. Just took him away. And you got to feel bad for Trey Young and the Atlanta Hawks, who are right there in this game. I mean, Trey ended up having 26, my apologies, 25 points in this one. And he said afterwards in an article I read that, you know, Trey Young is talking about the Miami Heat defense trying to get him off his game, trying to get him away from, you know, what Atlanta wants to do. So Trey is saying that he needs to find out a way to outsmart Eric Spolstra. Eric Spolstra, the head coach of the Miami Heat, is probably the best coach in the NBA at the moment. Probably the best in the Eastern Conference, let alone. So it will be a hard mission for Atlanta as they take it back to the Hawks arena there. And that basically summarizes the Eastern Conference, what you missed out since our last podcast. And then we go to the West, and this is where it gets real interesting. The Mavericks and the Jazz currently are right now, after Game 3, a 2-1 series with Dallas leading this one. Dallas, with a luka offense, has somehow come out to win out two games against Donovan Mitchell and a healthy roster with a former defensive player of the year, Rudy Gobert. Now, the last game they played was yesterday. It was 126-118 with Dallas taking that one in Utah. And the funniest thing about Utah was actually the way they kind of put that team together. It's so weird because you really forget that that's a team sometimes. And I hate to see it because they have rich history and everything like that. But the t-shirts out there in the fan base... They all look like hot sauce packets from Taco Bell. Like It was just a weird thing to see on national television, on NBA TV. But Dallas had another great game from Brunson, who actually had 41 in the last one. This one, he gets 31 off this. And even though he's a guard, it looks like he's more of a shooter out there. He goes about 55% from the field there, going 12 and 22 from the field. And Spencer Dinwiddie, right behind him, gets 20 points in this one. And the rest of the team is really fixated on their size. The bench itself, Kleber, Green, and Bertans. 17 points for Kleber, 12 for Green, and then 15 for Bertans. They're used well. They are used very well. Plus, that size against Utah has been efficient as it is, moving the ball and taking advantage of the low posts. And then Utah, you know, Donovan Mitchell, 32 points. What else can you ask for him? Bogdanovich, 24 Mike Conley, 21. Rudy Gobert, 15. The starting lineup is doing its job. Besides O'Neal, who ended up actually getting only two points in about 32 minutes in gameplay. And the funniest thing about O'Neal didn't even take a shot in this game. He went 0% from the field, taking zero shots. I mean, you're trying to tell me you do 32 minutes out there, you're not taking a single shot? I mean, you got to do something. He doesn't even get more than five rebounds in this one. You know? No steals, no blocks, no nothing. I just thought O'Neal was just kind of running around like a chicken with no head. And then, of course, the bench itself. I mean, the bench. I mean, they didn't even give you more than 30 points. We're talking about Jordan Clarkson, 14 points off the bench. Had a pretty good night. Actually was out there for about 30 minutes in this game. But House Jr., Pascal, Hassan Whiteside, all combined gave you 10 points. Three players. That's unacceptable, especially for Hassan Whiteside. I mean, the man is the backup for Rudy Gobert, who is not even playing more than 30 minutes in this game. And, of course, Hernan Gomez, 
who is inexistent. 6.20, 6 minutes, 20 seconds, 1 assist for Herman Gomez. 1 assist. And it was 0-2 from the field. What are we doing right now in Utah? We got to find somewhere to, like, officiate this offense. Because this offense was the most efficient offense in the NBA at one moment during the season. Especially during the half of the season. Second half. So Utah finds themselves 2-1 down against Dallas, who has no Luka Doncic, who everyone thought was probably their main guy offensively. And I have to say, I kind of, you know, I underestimated this Dallas team. There's no doubt in my mind. And I do apologize for that. I wasn't expecting Brunson to go off on Donovan Mitchell in Utah, especially in Utah. But it looks like Dallas might even finish this in five games. Might be too soon to say, but Dallas right now looks real great. Utah has their own troubles as they are down against Dallas in that series. Dallas leading 2-1. And then the other series in the West that we're going to be looking at here, of course, is Golden State and Denver. They go to Denver. Golden State wins that one, 118-113. This was actually close in the fourth quarter. It was tied a couple of times. But Denver does not get the job done. And Golden State in their lineup with Curry off the bench, I mean, it's it's almost insane just to think about that. Curry coming off the bench. That's how good Jordan Poole has been playing recently. 27 points from Poole this one. And he's shooting 69.2% for the field in this game. Almost 70% from the game. And he was 60% from three. That's how good Poole is. And this is not just one game, folks. This is throughout the entire series. Jordan Poole is putting up these numbers. Klay Thompson's right behind him with 26 points himself. He was a little bit going from three, about close to 50%. But he missed that last one. He ends up going up 46.2% from three-point line. Andrew Wiggins, the all-star. Only having nine points, but still 50% from the field. So you can't really look at him offensively. Got himself six rebounds. Was actually was the rebound leading guy for this Warriors team. As crazy as that sounds for a guy who's playing as a three. But Draymond Green, six points, but 10 assists. I mean, when you look at this stat line right now from Golden State, it's so weird to see that these positions who you don't expect get the stats are actually the team leaders. I mean, Draymond Green, the stat leader four assists, right? Wiggins for rebounds. Jordan Poole for points. And then you have Clay Thompson getting 26 right behind him. So, I mean, you got a guy on the bench giving you about 27 to 30 a game on, in Seth Curry. And then you're going to try to tell me you have two guys already on the starting lineup that are combining for more than 50% of the team's offense. Basically 50 points coming out of them. It's insane. It's insane. And not even that, the bench itself, a poor junior, paying the second. They're going to get you those stops defensively. They're going to give you those steals. I mean, poor junior really got two steals the other day. And then Payne got himself one as well. The only other person that got you at least an equal caliber of that on the starting lineup is Draymond Green, who got two in that game. So Denver is having a real hard time right now. And don't think that Denver wasn't fighting this game. This was a great game from Denver. Jokic actually got himself not only 18 rebounds, but 37 points to add on to the stat sheet for this game. Also, another player in an impressive year, MVP caliber year. He ends up getting 37 points and 18 rebounds off this one. Eric Gordon, 18 points. Barton, 13 points. Morris, 10 points. So four guys on the starting line gets double digits. But the rest is just... Just mediocre. 
I mean, DeMarcus Cousins gets nine points in this one off in nine minutes and 30 seconds, but that's it. I mean, Rivers, six points, Forbes, five points, but only one player has 100% from the field on the bench, and that's Austin Rivers. Goes two and two. Highland, Bones, two and six in this game. I mean, the bench is not taking many shots, and let alone, they weren't really knocking them down at all. Besides DeMarcus Cousins, of course, in Austin Rivers. But besides that, you know, it's like 50% or below from the field for Forbes, Highland, and Green. So, this Denver team is going to be back at home later on this week. And they need to figure it out if they want to avoid a sweep against Golden State. Who, in my opinion, are probably going to be the favorites out of the West. As we go now to another favorite in the West. The Memphis Grizzlies taking on Minnesota. Who are 1-1 one one going into the Timberwolves' house. At Target Center. Memphis was down 25 points two times in this game. Two times in this game, the Minnesota Timberwolves were leading by 25 plus in this game. And somehow, some way, the Timberwolves end up losing against Memphis in game three as the Grizzlies take it 104 to 95 over the Timberwolves. And the craziest thing about it is the stat line out of Minnesota's offense. 39 points in the first quarter for Minnesota. Then they go shoot only 12 points in that second quarter. 32 in the third quarter to start off the second half. Great. Fine. You get that huge lead. Only 12 in the fourth quarter. You got two quarters where you're shooting only 12 points. And you're trying to tell me that you want to hold a lead? That you're confident? I mean, I really think that Minnesota could actually win this series, but you got to hold yourself together, man. You got to hold yourself together. I mean, they allowed 37 points for Memphis, the Timberwolves defense. 37 points Minnesota Timberwolves defense allowed. I mean, what are you doing? At halftime, you're leading by seven points. Then you extend it all the way to 18 going to the final period, and then the Grizzlies go on a quarter opening 16-0 run to start up that fourth. And they go on a crazy nine-point comeback. I mean, you're losing by multiple possessions at the end of a game when you're only up by, I don't know, maybe like 10 possessions twice during the game. It's insane just to think about. And John Morant, you know, 10 rebounds, 10 assists, 16 points. Got a triple-double in this one. But Clark off the bench, 20 points. Jones off the bench, 11 points, right? Bain off the bench, 26. No, my apologies. Bain off the starting lineup, 26 points. Right, A majority of this team was shooting better than 50% from the field. I'm telling you right now, I don't know how Minnesota messes this one up. Minnesota's offense should be picking it up, especially trying to finish out games. Anthony Edwards, 19 points. D'Lo, 22 points. I mean, Carlton Towns... Shooting 75% from the field was 3-4 and four for the game. Your main big and your all-star and probably the best player on your team has only 8 points in this one. And it's only taking 4 shots in the game? I mean, what are you doing right now with that one? What are you doing right now? Makes no sense to me. Minnesota, if they do want to actually win a game at their home court, they will need to finish out against the Memphis Grizzlies, who somehow in some way scrapped back 
in probably the most miraculous fashion. And then the last series we'll be looking at right now in the Western Conference, the Suns and the Pelicans. Now this one is interesting. This one could possibly be a huge upset today as they actually play at 9.30 later on tonight on ESPN. The New Orleans Pelicans, if you first remember in game one, were actually blown out majority of the time in that game. And then the Suns end up finding an easy spot. It looks like they're going to easily sweep the Pelicans. This is a playing team in New Orleans that probably is going against the best Suns team that we've seen for a long time, maybe even ever. They come in game two on a full blast caliber type of offense. Brandon Ingram cannot be stopped. He is that guy. Brandon Ingram in this game has 37 points with 11 rebounds and only one assist away from a triple-double. With shooting about 62% from the field and 100% from three, going three and three. See Jim McCollum, 60% from three. And he has a beginning 23. Vucevic was on. Collum was on. Larry Nance Jr. was actually having a pretty good stat line for himself. He was shooting about 67% from the field with 13 points. This New Orleans team was ready to play in game two. And then in Phoenix, which looked like they had a good lead coming off in the first half of the game. As they kind of extended themselves in the thir- in the second quarter. They fall short in their competition in the second half. Kale Bridges, 19 points in this one. Chris Paul, 17 points in this one. But 14 assists, which is good. Devin Booker, 31 points, which is phenomenal. But then Devin goes to the floor, and he apparently has injured his hamstring. And they're saying he might not even be back for this series. And this is a scary thought, folks. Because as I say that, there were reports late, uh, earlier today. Zion Williamson might be back for Game 3. Zion Williamson, who hasn't even played a single game during this year, could come back in the postseason when his team needs him the most. First game in New Orleans for the Pelicans, who are a play-in team as the ninth seed, come all the way to fight adversary against the Clippers, and are now tied in a series against the number one team in the NBA record-wise. And now they could have an easy chance to actually go in and take Game 3 in their own house? This series is just like what we're seeing from Milwaukee. Just like what we're seeing from Milwaukee. Two teams who are in the finals, high caliber teams throughout the regular season this year, have found themselves in a hole with All-Stars getting injured, the team not performing at what we expect in Game 2. And now they go into a questionable two-game road trip where they have to face off a scrappy team. One of them is in the play-in. One other one is finally on back on track offensively in the Chicago Bulls. This could possibly mean that we might not get either the Suns nor the Bucks coming out of the Eastern and Western Conference. And this could possibly actually happen in the first round, as crazy as that sounds. Which I have to look at the stat line and see exactly what was the last time this ever happened, let alone if it even happened before. But this will be one in a million that we'll ever see. A possibility of two teams who went to the championship for the finals this last year could possibly miss it this year. And that goes into my next topic in this podcast. Who exactly is in danger? Now, as I said before, the reason the Suns and Milwaukee are two teams in danger are just because not only did he go to the finals last year, but you have these expectations that are obviously 
repeating what you did last year. And in the Suns' case, at least winning it this time. But now, you got an all-star gone for basically the first round on both sides. All right? And you got to figure out how to defend against two of these teams that are absolutely phenomenal offensively. And it's really questionable of how the home games are going to be like that. I know for the, the Milwaukee's point that when they go against Chicago in Chicago, that place is going to be packed. I think the Chicago fan base does show out. New Orleans, I love the energy coming out of their playing game. I think if Zion comes back, they'll sell out the entire building. No question. And that game is later on tonight, actually, for New Orleans against the Suns for Game 3 at 9.30 tonight on ESPN. But I'm just saying, if Zion is confirmed, it is going to explode off of the roof of Smoothie King Arena. Definitely explode. And the other team that I have to mention that I probably think is in trouble is Denver and the Timberwolves. Both of those teams are in trouble. Golden State, they got Curry off the bench. I don't give Denver a sliver of hope in Game 4. I'll tell you that right now. Jokic played probably the best game he's played throughout this entire first-round series, and you're trying to tell me that that wasn't enough? That you got Curry coming off the bench with 30 points? Guarantee, most of the time, guarantee 25, 27 points, guarantee from the bench just off Curry? And Jordan Poole is playing probably the best ball we've seen out of a guy who was drafted in the second round. I mean... This is hard. This is hard for me to think that Denver can actually pull this one out. I expect them to get swept. I really do. And for the Timberwolves' stake, John Morant posted after game one that last dance clip of Michael Jordan swinging that bat in the locker room after they lost game one against Charlotte against B.J. Armstrong back in the 90s and saying, you know, it's going to be a dogfight. They want to talk crap all they want. But it takes a real man to talk crap when it's 0-0 all tied up. Man, let me tell you, John Moran has been phenomenal these past two games. The Grizzlies somehow come back in many ways. And if the Timberwolves don't end up winning this next game and come out down 3-1 going back to Memphis, not only are they going to be in threat of losing the series in five games, but it's also the fact of the embarrassment that you have to face. The confidence of the Memphis Grizzlies, which is a huge part of the reason why him, Patrick Beverly, the guy, the guy with the ego boost, the guy with a little bit of an issue, some might even say, but it's just a passion of the game, that Patrick Beverly and the Minnesota Timberwolves might just get embarrassed in front of the face of all the NBA. Because you have this team, went through the play-in, did phenomenal as a seven seed, sticked to their seven seed. And now you're going to try to tell us that, you know, they got too cocky. You know, they act like the play-in was something now of, like, a championship. But at the same time, you know, I think that celebrating those games is a huge part of why the postseason is so special. Either that be the playoff or the play-in, just because every game matters. It really does. It really does. But Minnesota is in threat of losing that series and the threat of embarrassment. And now our last topic in this podcast, Defensive Player of the Year Award was recently called out, I believe, on Tuesday. And that was to Marcus Smart, who is only the second guard ever in NBA history to have that award for Defensive Player of the Year. The other one was Gary Payton back in the day when he was on the Seattle Supersonics. And Marcus Smart wins over Rudy Gobert and Mikhail Bridges 
for Defensive Player of the Year. And a lot of people have been talking about, oh, Marcus doesn't deserve it. He's not versatile on the core. He doesn't guard multiple positions. I uh, had also a lot of people say that Bam Adebayo got snubbed as he was finishing off in fourth overall with votes for Defensive Player of the Year. And I have to do agree with that, that Bam was snubbed, but only snubbed for not being top three. Nothing against Rudy Gobert, nothing against Mikael Bridges, but I honestly thought Bam had more to offer. A player who's still developing into this superstar or all-star caliber big, Bam is versatile. He defends a lot of other positions. He even had a couple of great games against Stephen Curry during the year where like he was showcasing himself, and they even had a couple of stats that put him over Marcus this regular season. However, Marcus didn't play the entire year. I believe he was injured midway, lost about, you know, about five to ten games of playing. So I can't really look at the stat-wise, but you just have to look at the heart, the passion. There's a reason why Marcus Smart won this one, and this is because he put eight years in the NBA of actually being passionate about the game of defense in the game of basketball. The game itself, the style that someone plays defense, shows them their morale and what they mean to a team. Marcus Smart has been that anchor for the Boston Celtics defensively, who is the number one team in net uh, defense and overall efficiency. And he has multiple steals per game. He was actually able to block a couple of guys who are way above his size throughout this year. And what we've been seeing as well in this series against Brooklyn, even though it's only two games, Marcus Smart, when he's going against the main guys, like Kyrie Irving in game one, he was about only allowing Kyrie one of three shots to go in when he faced off one-on-one. The second game, him against Kevin Durant with a couple of guys coming back for the double team, especially like an Al Horford, they put size there, but Marcus Smart is able to guard that one and poke the ball away, getting him multiple steals. Marcus is a professional at the game, almost a PhD at the game of defense in the game of basketball, and I think that he is more of deserving and definitely overdue for Marcus Smart as he won that Defensive Player of the Year award last Tuesday. And that will end our podcast here. Thank you again for joining in for Episode 8. And to look forward to our next podcast will be the upcoming Monday as we'll go into the weekend of playoff basketball and what we saw from those Game 3s and those Game 4s. My name is Brandon Hernandez. I want to thank you again for joining in.